This episode of Talk Your Book is proudly brought to you by Honan, providing a complete range of insurance, risk, and financial solutions. Bundy's called me up, told me to take a look, but stay stubborn as bulls and talk their own book. Get the money, get the money, get, get the money. Well, Harley Grosser, thanks very much for coming back on the show. Uh, we'll get into your stock pick in a second, but I thought if we could start with Capital H Management and how you guys look to invest. For sure. Thanks for having me again, Chris. Uh, so Capital H is a Sydney-based uh, boutique funds management business, a uh, bit over 40 million under management at the moment. We're micro and small cap focused. We have an open mandate, so we can go anywhere when we see the need to, um, but micros are our specialty. So as it stands today, we've got two funds. We have the longer running inception fund, which is your passive fund. So we're just long only backing good management teams, buying into companies that are cheap with growth uh, and selling them when the value is fully reflected. And then we have a second fund, which set up in March, 2021, uh, called the Capital H Active Fund. And the, the mandate there is to be active in the portfolio positions, which can be as light as helping on investor relations through to, and we'll talk about an example today, taking a board seat and being actively involved in the actual direction of where the company goes. And I know that the company you want to speak about today is one you're also a chairman of, but perhaps before we dig in too much into that, maybe explain the relationship between ASX Listed Arc, which you're going to speak about today, and Capital H Management, so that people have some clarity on on how the two companies are, are, are intertwined. For sure, and I'm happy to. So Capital H is the privately held funds management company. Uh, and in the active fund, the, the second fund I mentioned just before, uh, we took a, a large stake in ARC, which is a listed vehicle, ARC is the stock code there. So to give you a bit of background there, we're effectively looking for a vehicle that we could do this model in, and we'll get into what the model is soon, I'm sure. Um, and ARC was the perfect fit. So about a year ago now, we recapitalized the ARC vehicle, which was a shell at that point, uh, put some cash into it, effectively came out with 34, 35% ownership in the capital H um, entities. Uh, and joined the board, became managing director, and have since then been employing the uh, the new strategy. And not to be confused with Cathy Woods Arc overseas either, uh, as ARC, not ARK. But talk us through that business model for Arc. Sure. So the model for Arc is that we're a multi-affiliate funds boutique funds management platform, which is a fancy way of saying that we take equity stakes in funds management companies, and then we help them set up and grow, and let them focus on the investing side, which is what's most important. Uh, and so we sort of, what we felt was we'd, we had a lot of experience doing that in building Capital H. We saw the opportunity, we're tapped into the investor networks that want to invest in boutique managers. We're strongly of the view that boutiques outperform over time. Uh, and there's a lot of talent out there that we could do deals with. Um, so after we went through that recap process and joined the board, we sort of got moving pretty quickly and did our first deal in uh, Merriweather Capital, which is our micro cap funding run by Luke Winchester. Since then, we've done two more. Uh, we have a stake in a fixed income manager called Magnum Funds. And then the final one, the most recent deal is a uh, or soon to be launched LIC fund of funds called Arc Emerging Managers Limited. And Luke Merriweather, correct me if I'm wrong, was, was on a, a stock sort of website where he's posting all these investments and just posting brilliant returns year after year and sort of became quite famous uh, amongst other retail investors that were just following. Is that the genesis of how you came across his work originally? hundred percent. So with the micro cap, small cap community, it's kind of like a subculture that everyone knows of everybody and everyone reads each other's research. And I think uh, Luke, so Luke Winchester, his, his username was Winnie, um, built a bit of a following on Twitter, on Hot Copper, on, on Strawman, which are sort of, um, you know, posting boards to share stock ideas. 
And, and, you know, if, in my view, if someone is looking in ARC's position to go and find talented managers, there's no better audited track record than reading an investment thesis that's archived on a website somewhere as to why they're in the stock, what it's worth and the catalysts, and it's got all the information there. You can't edit it later. Um, and it also shows you when you get them right and when you get them wrong. And so Luke had built a really good following there. Uh, Josh and I at Capital H had respected him and known him for, for quite some time. And when we finally had ARC, um, and a vehicle to be able to, to back him and participate in his success. It was pretty exciting to be able to do that as the first deal. So yeah, we were stoked to get the, the Merriweather deal done as our first. And so I assume there's a lot of back office compliance function that ARC help uh, fund managers with. What about raising capital? Do ARC contribute capital? Do they help with that sales process? How does that arrangement work? Yeah, so we assist with everything. It's the back office stuff. I mean, most of these stock pickers, they, they don't want to be doing, nor should they be doing the admin and the compliance piece, but it's a necessary requirement and it's only getting getting harder. And so we outsource that. We help in, in raising capital. ARC won't typically take a balance sheet position in the funds, but we do have, you know, we're lucky to have a, a strong network that follows us through Capital H and now into ARC. ARC has a really high caliber share register in its own right and did before we got there. That was something we were lucky to inherit. Um, and through that process, for example, we raised the fund for, for Merriweather and a similar process we did for the initial commitments for Magnum. And, and that's part of the uh, part of the value that we add. How the Emerging Managers Fund ties in, and we can get to that in a little bit, is, is that it'll be effectively internally managed capital that we can distribute or help to allocate to our own managers when they meet all the requirements that we we are need to be to be part of that fund. And what sort of, what's the targeted number of funds for, for ARC over, say, I don't know, 24 months? How many more different type of funds could you see being introduced to the, the ARC structure? Yeah, it's a, it's a good question. I mean, there's no hard target, but I've sort of shared with the larger shareholders that if we could do, if I'm pushed on you know, a rate that we could do, if we could do three each 12 months, two to three really good ones, but it's, it sounds cliche, but it's got to be quality over quantity. Because in funds management, the biggest asset are the people and they're also the biggest risk. So you've got to be really careful there. Once you go into business with them, you know, you're in it for the long run um, through ups and downs performance. And so you've got to feel comfortable with that. There's a big pool of, I'd say, opportunity, or, sorry, a big pool of, of talent out there that is an opportunity to, to partner with. But it's got to be selective. It's got to be when it works for us and works for them because um, it's a long-term business partnership. But if you, if you push me on a pace, I think you can do two to three a year and just basing that on the conversations we're having in the pipeline we have. Uh, and so, you know, in, in 24 months, say we're at three now, we can add another three to six if we're lucky. And, you know, I think, in, so my, my vision is probably in three years, we have 10, that'd be great. And I assume there must be a bit of a happy medium in terms of the size of the stake you take in the fund managers. You know, if you take a 70% stake in the, the manager and he's shooting the lights out pretty soon he decides to close that fund and start a new one and take 100% and then if you take 5% I assume it's going to be immaterial to you unless he becomes you know the next Dan Druckenmiller what, what is that sort of percentage of, of funds uh, that you can take in ARC where it's material to ARC but you're not um, you know precluding the fund manager to get rich for sure no so we target 25 to 40% that's sort of the the publicly stated range, every deal will be done on its own basis um, and will be flexible if we ever have to be, but that's where we like to fit. We're the minority investor in this. And, and if you use Luke, uh, Meriwether Capital as an example, Luke is the founder, Luke's the CIO, he's the key person, he's the one picking the stocks. We have no active role in what stocks he buys or sells. You know, that's 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 sort of his, his role. And we're in the background. So we will handle all the other stuff that he doesn't want to do. 
I put a bit of capital in to help him get set up. Uh, but we own 40% of Merriweather and Luke owns the remaining 60%, which is how it should be. I mean, he's the one that's going to be creating the long-term value. We'll support him along the way and we'll, we'll continually add more and more value over time and hopefully help him grow a farm. Um, but he's the one that needs to deliver the returns. And so he should have the lion's share of that, that equity there. And how differentiated do all the funds need to be uh, before you, you risk sort of cannibalizing the other funds? Yeah, they have to be sufficiently differentiated because we started from scratch. We didn't have that problem. But as we fill, I guess, asset and strategy slots, we're going to have to be careful how we do that. I can't see us having another microcap manager, for example. It would have to be sufficiently different um, to Luke's style. But there's just, you know, what we felt when we partnered with Luke is we picked the best microcap manager here. And so we're happy. And then we'll go find mini caps or large caps or global, whatever the asset class may be. And so it'll apply on the same basis from there. The, the strength for us is that the number or range of managers and asset classes is so diverse, especially when you start to go overseas. I mean, there's going to be no shortage of ideas or opportunities there. Um, but we are, you know, the idea is we pick the best manager in that asset class, in that strategy, and we don't overlap. And you're asset class agnostic. Are there any asset classes where you, you've just got your, your red texter out saying we're just not going there at this stage? Fully open-minded. So it's got to meet a few criteria. It's got to be, it's, it's more, I would say it's more centered around the manager. The manager has to be the right person. They have to have a track record of success. Um, but what we don't want to do is go into an asset class. It's going to be a hard slog to grow from. You know, it's got to have some tailwinds behind it. Now, it doesn't mean that we won't be counter-cyclical and happy to be, you know, tech is hated, for example, now. And if there was a perfect tech manager, then we'd 100% look at it. We're not going to sort of follow the fads or, um, ride the cycles up and down. We'll, we'll make some smart bets, but we've got to be an asset class as we think are scalable that investors are interested in, um, because fund growth is a big part of the value add, with performance being the other piece. So, other than that, open minded, and we look at everything. And you mentioned the the Lanyon listed investment company that that you guys gained control of recently. Maybe talk us through um, that transaction and and that fund of funds, how that how that'll work. For sure. So I was really excited to get that done. Um, I know Dave Prescott, who's the founder of Lanyon, was the first guest on Talkie Book. So he was. that's pretty cool. Um, and Dave's going to be the chairman or is the chairman of the vehicle. And we'll continue to be the chairman as we repurpose that and turn it into the Arc Emerging Managers Fund. So the idea for that came from, I just mentioned before, on the distribution piece and being able to raise capital for our managers, which is a big part of the value that we want to add. That comes externally and it comes from networks and it comes from um, you know, the people that we know and putting, putting the managers in front of those people and, and letting them do the work. But it makes a lot of sense from ARC and the value to, to ARC funds and, and to our managers to have a, I guess, a vehicle or a fund that's internally managed that when a manager meets all of those requirements and there is a separate board, like there will be a, this will be a separately ASX listed vehicle, uh, they can allocate into that fund. And as we grow, as that vehicle performs, as the fund, fund delivers good returns, as we expect it to do, we can grow a farm under that and the value increases that we can add back to our managers over time. So that was sort of the, the genesis of the idea. Um, as you mentioned, Lanyon had an existing vehicle, an existing LIC um, on the ASX. LAM was the code or still is the code for now. Uh, and we were lucky to do a deal with, with Dave. Dave, we sort of pitched David on the idea. Uh, I actually went to Omaha, the Berkshire Hathaway meeting with him. Um, some good DD there. That was good fun. Uh, and we, we struck this deal. We brought in Daniel Sims, which is a massive value add for us as well, to be the other executive director on that board. 
Uh, and we're now going through, I guess, sort of the tick the boxes process of repurposing that vehicle. It'll become ARC Emerging Managers, we'll raise capital, and then we'll be able to allocate to a, a list of uh, what we think are high quality boutique fund managers. And so ARC itself doesn't actually make revenue, it shares in the revenue of the fund businesses you invest in, if you like. What sort of scale do those separate funds need to get to generally before they are starting to spit dividends back towards ARC? That's, so that's a really good question. So it depends on the asset class and the fund structure. And so for an example, with a Merriweather, Merriweather could be a profitable business at, at $10 million a fund with some good returns as well, because the cost base is lower, it's a wholesale unlisted fund. Uh, and the performance kicker is much larger in a vehicle like that. If you look at something like the fixed income fund with Magnum, it's going to be a listed product uh, on Chiax. And so there's an associated lift in the fixed cost base. And so you're looking at sort of $35 million of fund for that vehicle where you start to actually, you know, break even and, and have some profit. But the key point for all these vehicles is that there's so much leverage in funds management. Once you hit the scale point, there is no additional, every dollar of revenue effectively does drop down to the bottom line because you're not adding amounts, massive amounts of people or costs or, it's just not needed. So what we try to do is help these managers get to that scale point as quickly as possible. Um, and then we're, boot, we're backing boutiques. So it's all about performance. So no one in the ARC circle, the managers or ourselves are gonna get rich off the management fees. And that's, we don't think that's how it should be. We need the underlying funds to perform for investors. And then the performance fees are what's the real kicker back to those managers. So that means that let's get them to scale, let's get them to whatever fund requires to, to get to that point and then let them focus on investing. And it'll be lumpy, the performance fees can be lumpy, um, but they can also be really substantial when they start to kick in. Uh, and that's what we you know, are hoping will, will happen over time. In terms of the accounting, the easiest way to, to look at it would be to look at Pinnacle, just look up their annual report. We effectively, we will report the same way they do, uh, where you are taking, let's say 40% of the stake, and then the equity accounted um, results is in, is in the books, and you can sort of back it out that way. But you're right in that there is no a direct revenue at this point, although there will be, I guess, uh, ventures in future where that might look more, a bit more different. And so you've got a bit over to about two and a half million bucks in cash or somewhere near that. Will that last you before some of these funds are getting to scale and, and are starting to, to spit out dividends? Because I'm assuming the cost base at ARC is, is, is incredibly low. It's, it's tiny. So our fixed cost base would be half a million dollars, roughly that. We put that out in our last set of accounts. That's public. Um, and we can flex that a lot if we ever needed to, right? So really what that cash is, is just waiting there for us to do new deals. In my view, we'll, uh, you know, the market's tough, right? The market's tough at the moment, but we're happy to wait out for when that market turns and the performance will, we're backing good people. The performance will come. Does it cost much to integrate a new fund into the platform? Uh, it depends on the structure. So, but... But you know, in a really, the short answer is no, it doesn't cost a whole lot. It just depends on what the structure of the vehicle is, right? So if we're helping to establish a new fund from scratch, you might be spending $100,000, $150,000 to set up a wholesale fund, not a whole lot. If we were doing a deal and we look at deals like this, it's in the pipeline as well, to take a stake in an existing fund, then you might be doing a transaction with a vendor and you might have more capital to, to outlay. It just, it just varies. Um, and so look, the cash that we've got now, Cost space is tiny, sufficient to go after the growth opportunities that we're after. Uh, revenue is going to grow. We will get direct revenue from managing the uh, emerging managers product that will come back into a subsidiary that ARC owns more than 50% of. So there's a little bit of a difference 
and how that will be accounted for. Um, but no issues on the on the cash side. If we were to come up, you know, out across something that was just phenomenal and we needed to raise money to to go after it and it was going to add a whole lot of value, then we'd, we'd consider at that time there's, like I sort of briefly mentioned before, ARC's very lucky to have a really high caliber share register and um, with large shareholder capital H, we'd always follow our money in if we had to, but we also have some big holders there. The chairman owns 10% um, and some industry guys that are, that are well-known and have great track records are, are big holders too so, and are fully supportive of the, of the strategy. And just before I let you go, that fund-to-fund model, what does the fee structure look like that? And, and do you have to sort of end up being in funds that a general sophisticated investor can't get access to to justify the double fees? How does that sort of work? That's a really good point. I'm glad you asked that. So we did a lot of thinking on what that looks like. And we wanted to build AEM or ARC Emerging Managers Limited into a fund that is genuinely investor friendly. And so the management fee for that vehicle will be zero. We're not going to be charging any management fee for that. Um, now, when you have X amount of capital and you go to these boutique guys and say, I'm going to give you a $5 million ticket, can you lower the management fee or whatever it may be? Sometimes you'll get that in exchange because their benefit is permanent capital. They're getting effectively a manager who's going to ride them through the cycle and isn't going to get nervous when we have a six months like this and want to redeem. That's the worst thing that can happen to a boutique fund. So you can get some value out of that um, and we expect to, to do so. But the actual ARC Emerging Managers Fund, just why it's, it's so interesting, is that it's going to be zero management fee. There will be a performance fee component, but we need to actually deliver on that before investors pay anything. That's great, I reckon, for those fund of funds, because the fees can start to look chunky after a while, can't they? Oh, for sure. And, you know, there's, you can run through the maths on how much value, a, you know, one and a half versus 2% fees can take over time. So rather than just making it a small fee, we made it zero fee. Um, we're only going to get paid or add any value at the, at the manager level uh, if they outperform above a hurdle and then we'll get the performance fee for doing so. But if that does kick in, the structure is such that there'd be sufficient value added back to the investors in, in the ARC Emerging Managers product. So I think it'll be really interesting. Um, we haven't come out with the full details yet, but there'll be other mechanisms. For example, that vehicle that we're repurposing has a bunch of tax losses. And so there'll be about $6 million of profit that effectively um, investors won't pay any tax on, which is nice. Uh, and we'll also have a mechanism whereby we'll reinvest fees to ensure that that share price to NAV discount, which is so critical with LICs, that's always the risk, is kept really narrow. How do you ensure you keep it narrow and you don't have Jeff Wilson raiding the, the register and snapping it up? Well, I can't guarantee Jeff Wilson won't do that because he's the king of LIC. So, you know, we you launch an LIC, you're probably on his radar. But the best way to reduce the risk is to keep that share price nav discount really tight. Like if you're trading at 20% discount, you're in trouble. Yeah, so how do you do that though? Because they all, they all end up, how do you stop it? So what we're going to do is we're going to have a mechanism whereby the manager, which is going to be an ARC subsidiary, all fees are reinvested on market to purchase shares. And so we'll be an active buyer in the product. Um, there's a few other things we can sort of do to, to help to help sort of close that gap. But to be honest with you, I think the biggest the biggest thing that Jeff does so well and why he's the king of LICs is he's got a really engaged, happy shareholder base. And so you don't have people that are wanting to dump the stock at 20% discount. You know, Jeff, Jeff puts effort into the investor relations piece. He's obviously had great returns as well, but he's, he's putting effort into that so that his shareholder base is happy. Um, and I think, you know, just because you have an LIC of locked in capital that's permanent money, doesn't mean you can just forget about engaging with your investors. They still want to know how you're going every month or quarter or, you know, and he makes that effort and we've got to do the same thing. Oh, well, it's a good as, a place as anywhere to finish the next Jeff Wilson, potentially. Um, 
So thanks very much, Harley. Really appreciate you coming back on. It is a bit of a complicated story. I think you mentioned Pinnacle, but that's probably a good um, comparable if people are trying to get their head around it a bit clearer. Thanks very much for coming on, mate. My pleasure. Thanks for me. Cheers. This episode of Talk Your Book was proudly brought to you by Honan, who go beyond a transactional insurance broker to deliver better outcomes for their clients. If you're enjoying Talk Your Book, make sure you subscribe to Chris Judd Invest. Nothing you hear today should be considered investment advice. Please do your own research and seek out your own financial advisor before committing any capital to these markets.